Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is Wednesday morning, and I'm drinking a hot cup of Bottom Gun Coffee from my friends at BottomGunCoffee.com. You might have noticed that I'm releasing this episode in the middle of the week. Well, the reason I'm doing that is that I've done so many interviews lately that I've decided to release two episodes a week for the foreseeable future. So enjoy this special episode. I have another great show lined up for you, but before we get started, I just wanted to mention my latest leadership book. It's called You Have the Watch, and it's available on sale on my website and on Amazon. In fact, it's already a number one new release and bestseller on Amazon. I'm really excited about this new book because it's not actually a book. It's a guided journal for leaders that will take you through an entire year of leadership training. There are 50 themes in the book, and each day you will reflect on a different facet of that theme. This journal is designed to be on your desk at work for you to read and reflect on for about 15 minutes each morning. Leadership skills are just like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them, and this journal helps you practice those critical leadership skills. So if you're interested in this guided journal, go to youhavethewatch.com or Amazon and pick up your copy today. And if you're looking for other ways to support what I do on the show, purchase any one of my books at johnsrenny.com. Podcast listeners can use the discount code DEEP at checkout to get additional savings. Well, that is it. My guest today is Dr. Amir Kaisi. Amir is a professor, author, a professional speaker, and a certified executive coach. He is the author of a new book called Humbitious, The Power of Low-Ego, High-Drive Leadership. Now, he's discovered that the best leaders have a rare combination of realistic humility and powerful ambition. As it turns out, the arrogant, overconfident, stereotypical boss isn't that effective in getting things done. So this is an eye-opening discussion that I know you're going to love. So are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Amir Kaisi. 
Amir is an award-winning professor of healthcare administration at Trinity University. He's also an author, professional speaker, and a certified executive coach. In his most recent book, Humbitious, The Power of Low-Ego, High-Drive Leadership, Amir explores the role of ego in leadership. He's found that the most effective high-performing leaders combine deep, realistic humility with ambition and drive. And I am excited to have him on the show and talk about this very interesting topic. So Amir, welcome. Thank you for having me, John. Very excited. Yeah, I am excited. As soon as I saw this title of this book, I knew I wanted to have you on the show because it's so interesting to me. Uh, and, and really this idea of humility and leadership is something that changed my life when I first learned about it. So I'm really excited about diving deep on this topic. So first of all, I just want to explore a little bit. How did you end up getting into the world of, of leadership, teaching leadership, coaching leadership, writing about leadership? How did you end up in this world? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with um, some background. I, I grew up in Beirut, Lebanon, and I went to school to study public health, but I always knew that I wanted to teach. So I came to the U.S. back in 1999 to get a Ph.D. from the University of Minnesota. And after I finished, I took a job at Trinity University in, in San Antonio, teaching graduate students in healthcare administration. Now, as I started teaching graduate students, I started to realize that our educational system, but also our organizational hiring practices were set up in a way to penalize humble people and to reward self-promoting egocentrics. So that, that got my attention. and I started looking in the research. I sifted through the research and discovered the negative impact of not recognizing and rewarding humility. Because the evidence clearly showed that humble leaders outperform non-humble ones on all long-term measures. So in 2017, after taking a um, sabbatical and studying the traits, I, I published a book called Intangibles, The Unexpected Traits of High-Performing Healthcare Leaders. And, and the purpose of that book was to uncover, based on the research, what are the traits that were necessary for high-performing leaders, specifically in healthcare, which is my area. And what the evidence showed was that humility, compassion, kindness, and generosity, when combined with ambition, competence, strength, and accountability, enable leaders to achieve high performance for themselves, for their teams, and, and for their organizations. After that book was published, you know, I got invited to give talks to groups and organizations all over. And at these events, you know, the leaders from all different levels showed a great interest in this concept of humility. And, and based on what I heard from these talks, as well as on social media platforms, I realized that humility was not just a crucial trait for healthcare leaders, but was very important for all types of leaders in all industries. So that led to the current book, which is Ambitious, The Power of, of Low Ego High Drive Leaders. Was it a bit of, of a surprise to you when you were doing your research for your first book to, to find humility among the list of success factors in the healthcare space? It was a surprise, but it was, it was a nice surprise. Um, because intuitively, I've always believed in that leadership style. Um, the leaders that I have admired over the years have always shown these kind of qualities. 
But then at the same time, we have a lot of examples in politics and, you know, um, popular culture, all of that, of, of people who are not humble and who are maybe achieving some success. So, so I, I was, you know, just like anyone else, I, was, I didn't have a clear idea of what the, what the traits required for high-performing leaders were. And, and when the research clearly showed that it has to start with humility, it, it, was, it was a very pleasant surprise. Yeah, that it is. It is. A, it is a nice surprise to learn that, but also to learn that it's not just in the healthcare industry. It's it's across the board in leadership. And you, you touched on this, and I and I wanted to get your take on this before we dive into the book, which is, you know, why you, you know there's this this myth right on leadership that the you know the arrogant, overconfident people make better leaders. Right. This has always been the case that we think that uh, you have to fit a Jack Welsh or I don't know. Uh, uh, Donald Trump uh, kind of, uh, you know, bombastic attitude if you want to be a great leader. But um, and, and, and we tend to promote people like that because it's sort of our view of what leadership is. So why do you think that we have this myth of the that leaders are these uh, arrogant, overconfident people? And the truth of the matter is they're the least effective of our of our, of our leaders. Why do you think those people get promoted and we still believe that they're the right uh, model for leadership? Yeah. You know, the, the reason why we believe that's the right model for leadership is because we see a lot of those examples, but we don't realize that those examples are the exception to the rule rather than the rule itself. Mm. So when I look at the research on arrogant leaders, okay, narcissists, self-centered people, the research is very clear that these kind of leaders actually tend to be promoted more for leadership positions. Mm. So if we have an opening in our company for a leadership position and, and we have two people applying and one of them is more narcissist, self-centered, et cetera, chances are we're going to pick that person because they tend to be very charming. They tend to be self-promoting. They, they, um, you know, they tell you what you want to hear in the interview. However, what the research shows is that once we put these people in leadership positions, in the long run, they are not effective leaders. In mm. fact, they are horrible leaders because they tend to be cold, hostile, lousy team players, and, and terrible managers overall. So they're not effective in the long term. So, so the, the distinction that most people don't realize they have to do is the distinction between leadership emergence and leadership effectiveness. Yes. Narcissist, self-centered people tend to emerge more as leaders, but they are not effective in the long run. Wow. Yeah, that's that's what I have seen as well in my, you know, just in my 30 years of being around different leaders is that, the, you know, just my, you know, non-scientific observations is that they tend to be the ones that uh, get the positions, but they don't usually perform in those positions very well. So um, so your book, and I'm really excited about it. It's brand new. It's it's called Humbitious. Uh, the power of low ego, high drive leadership. So first of all, the humbitious, that's a very strange word. I imagine that it's fairly unique to this book. So uh, what is humbitious? What, is that, what did you mean when you wrote it, uh, that, that word? Why that word? Right. So, so humbitious, as, as it sounds like, is, is a combination of humble and ambitious, right? The research shows clearly that if you want to achieve high performance for yourself, for your team and for your organization, you need to bring in these two seemingly non-compatible traits with each other. 
let's start with humility. Humility keeps our feet on the ground by having an accurate assessment of our own abilities. So we understand our strengths and our weaknesses very accurately. Ambition, on the other hand, makes us reach for the stars by believing in our own greatness, but not only that, in the greatness of the people who work with us. Now, I, I work in addition to, to you know, my work at the university, I'm also an executive coach. And I work with a lot of leaders. And some of the leaders I work with are too ambitious, but are not humble enough, right? So they have these audacious visions, but they don't take the time to involve others and to listen to their input. And as I just mentioned, these kind of people may get short-lived results, but they don't achieve success in the long run. The other side of that coin is also not that effective because some of the other leaders that I coach or I speak to are too humble but not ambitious enough, right? So you find them that they're generous, they appreciate other people, but they tend to sit on, to sit on the sidelines. They may avoid difficult conversations. They may delay to confront tough situations. They don't speak up in meetings. And these two can't achieve much in the long run. So we, we notice that neither one of these two styles is conducive to high performance. It's only when humility and ambition are together that they can create a powerful combination for leaders that want to make a lasting impact. So this is where the idea for, for this made-up term, ambitious, came from, is, is how do we combine humility and ambition to achieve high performance? Yeah, I like that. And, you know, we talked earlier before we got started, you know, I'm a big Jim Collins fan and and good to great. Um, in, in good to great, he exposed this idea of level five leaders. And uh, it's something that when I first read it, it blew my mind because I didn't realize that there was this archetype of leaders that had this humility and this perseverance of this high resolve, right? So they had this this kind of uh, yin and yang, he called it, which is, you know, they they were very humble in their approach, but they were also very driven. And um, so, you know, uh, so what, what you know, was, was some of Jim Collins' work, you know, did, was that influential in, in, in starting this book? I mean, knowing that his, his research also indicated that this, this archetype is actually a very, very effective archetype for leaders leading in business and in, in various organizations. Absolutely. And, and just like you described, John, it, it had that life-changing, career-changing impact on me as well. Um, you know, I was still a doctoral student back in, in Minnesota when, when Good to Great came out in 2001. And, and I couldn't put my finger on it, but I was thinking to myself that, you know, aha, this is it. Yes, someone is saying something that I've intuitively known throughout my career and now there is research to support that, right? And, and even Jim Collins himself, you know, when, when they went to study those 11 organizations that made that jump from good to great, I mean, they went there expecting that their CEOs are going to be what we were just talking about, the arrogant, self-centered divas, right? The prima donnas and all of that. And what they found was like the, this, this unusual combination of traits that people had, that these leaders had were... They were humble, but they were also fiercely determined. They were so ambitious. They had this professional will, and it wasn't just for themselves. It was for their team and for their organization. So, you know, that planted the seed in my head to, to keep thinking about this humility thing. 
But remember, Good to Great was published back in 2001, right? Right. And I've always wondered if the research still holds mm-hmm. outside of that sample that, that they studied. So when I started looking into humility more recently, the last seven or eight years, I wanted to see if there was any research published since Good to Great. And it turned out to be there is tons of research, John, Mm -hmm. on humility in leadership. The problem, though, is that most of that research is published in obscure medical and obscure academic journals. You know, only... I and 12 other professors in the country read those journals. No, no, no busy leaders have time to go and check an article from Academy of Management Review and, and go through the jargon and all of that. So when I, when I saw that the research still supports Jim Collins' thesis, and there is more recent research from all kinds of different industries, but also from all over the world, we have research on humility and leadership coming to us from China, from Singapore, from Portugal, and from here in the United States. I knew that there was a need to bring that research to busy leaders out there in their industries who don't have the time to read it. And I wanted to synthesize it and present it in an easy to understand way. And that's a big part for why I wrote Ambitious, because I wanted to see what are the most recent evidence-based practices for humble leaders, you know, that, that combine um, ambition and fierce determination like, like Jim Collins described them. Well, I'm glad you did it because I, I know in my writings, if, you know, for over the last 10 years, I've been talking about level five leadership, you know, not every day, but I, I often mention it is because it was so influential to me. So I'm glad to see an, another uh, more modern piece of work that's, that's discussing that, that can reach you know, everyday leaders. And that's what I'm excited about this book because it's easy to read, it's easy to understand, it's easy to apply. And I think that's what the most effective leadership books are is ones that that that, that actual leaders can read and they can, they can put those practices into action, which this book, you know, easily can do that. So that's what I like about it. So uh, you, one of the things that you talked about, and I think this is important in the book, you talk about that, uh, that there's a confidence uh, area that, that's involved with uh, humble leadership. So when you think of humility, you think of somebody that uh, maybe, uh, you know, it, it leads maybe from behind, uh, maybe is uh, quiet, maybe is not, uh, you know, uh, somebody that's, that's very uh, vocal about their opinions. But you say that there's a high level of confidence in these humble leaders as well. And that's and and uh and even to the point of there's there's narcissism in, in play as well. And I'm just curious to hear how confidence and narcissism fit into the world of humble leadership. Sure, sure. Yeah, we're, we're let's start with confidence, okay? As as we both know, confidence is a key trait that that pulls people towards you, right? Team members want to follow a confident leader who is decisive, who has a strong sense of direction and vision. However, if you're just confident, but you don't have humility, you may stay the course, but you are not involving people and there's no one there to to support you because there's no buy-in, right? What we need to remember, though, is, is confidence is not the opposite of humility. It's not an either-or proposition. It's Mm. an and proposition. You can have the confidence to set that audacious vision and the humility to know your vulnerabilities, 
and to surround surround yourself with people who will challenge you, then you will have a powerful combination. The other aspect of confidence that, that we need to remember is, you know, a big part of humility is saying, I don't know, or saying this is a new situation that I haven't faced in the past, or admitting that you made a mistake, apologizing to people. All of these situations require confidence, right? Mm. Someone who has insecurities is not going to admit that they don't know or, or, or that they are facing a tough situation and they need help. So that's where I see the interplay between confidence and um, humility. Now, to move on to narcissism, this, this may be a little bit surprising, but... Yeah, it was to me. There are aspects, <laughs> yeah, there are aspects of narcissism that are positive to a certain extent. Okay, and and the emphasis is on the latter part of the sentence to a certain extent, right? So, if I were to summarize fifteen years of research on narcissistic leaders and effectiveness, the research shows us that the relationship between narcissism and effectiveness follows an inverted U-shaped graph, right? Imagine a U-shaped graph and inverted. So, as narcissism narcissism increases, effectiveness also increases, but up to a certain point. And that, we call that healthy confidence, which every leader should have. You believe in yourself. You believe in your abilities. You believe in your team. However, once it goes over that threshold, that inverted U-shaped graph is starting to go down, right? And effectiveness is starting to go down. So that's the area that is the unhealthy arrogance that we we talked about so far. And there are many examples of leaders that have aspects of narcissism in them in that they believe in their own abilities and greatness, but they rein in that narcissism, they rein in that ego, and they temper it with humility. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. One ping only, please. As I thought, John Rennie's new book, All in the Same Boat, is right over there. It's at allinthesameboatbook.com. Your orders are to get there now. And remember, be careful what you shoot at. Most things in here don't react too well. Two bullets. Is your boss a jerk? I understand you're in the hospital, but I'm going to need you to come in today. Do they lack any ability to actually lead people? Oh, it's fine. I'll, I'll just find somebody else that can do it, okay? John is offering a new service just for you. For only $10, he will anonymously mail a copy of his best-selling book, I Have the Watch, to your boss with a personal note. Go to IHaveTheWatch.com and enter the discount code BOSS at checkout. I love that because I, I think, you know, I mean, I started my own business uh, six years ago, my own manufacturing business, and I honestly believe that I will be successful. And that's maybe a little narcissistic, right? That I have the, the confidence in myself that I'm going to pull it off. And, and that's, that's ego. I mean, that's, that's me believing in myself. It's me betting on myself. But when it comes to actively leading the people that work for me, it's all humility, right? I don't, I don't stand up in front and say, I know all the answers. In fact, just the opposite is like, exactly. you know, I've never seen this before. What do you guys think? How, how could we 
how could we um, beat the competition in this particular area? Because I I don't have a good idea here. And just and being able to step back and listen and let you know let my team apply their best their best ideas to the equation. But I have full confidence in my own abilities that that I'm going to make this happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. See, this, this is another thing. You know what, what you just mentioned reminded me of another misunderstanding we have about humility. Humility is not about understating your strength. It's not about underestimating yourself. It's about estimating your strength in a very accurate way. Mm. So you don't, you know, to be humble doesn't mean that you know that you're good at something or you believe in your, in your, in your company and and that it's going to succeed, but you go and say, no, I don't think so. Probably we won't make it right. That's not humility. That's fake humility. Real humility is taking a very hard look at what you're good at, but also what you're not good at, and then surrounding yourself with people who are going to complement some of those weaknesses or the areas that that you're not an expert in. Mm, I like that. You say in the book that um, humble leaders will uh, significantly improve their team's performance by creating positive conditions. They create the right environment. Uh, what do you mean by that? How, how, do, how do these humble leaders create the environment to where their teams can get their maximum performance? Here again, the research shows us, John, that humble leaders, they create positive conditions in which the team members feel comfortable to voice their mm-hmm. opinion. They feel comfortable to experiment and to fail because the leader themselves is modeling that behavior. So, in this environment, the team members believe that their ideas are welcomed and built upon, and they don't fear to be ridiculed or to be punished if their opinions are different. Now, we both know that this is what, what um, is referred to as psychological safety, right? And it's mm-hmm. a concept that, that you know, um, Harvard Business School professor Amy Edmondson is the one who, who coined, you know, her early research in in neonatal intensive care units in the NICUs, in in hospitals, which, as you know, is is the area that I study, found that leaders who invited and appreciated others' contributions and included them in important discussions and and decisions created that kind of psychologically safe environment, which in turn led to higher employee engagement and higher involvement in the projects that the leaders wanted the employees to be involved in. And and we both know how important engagement is for any kind of employee today, not just in healthcare. So we we have a clear path in how we create an environment where people feel psychologically safe, feel engaged, and also how we can unleash their innovation. And that path goes through humble leadership. Yeah, I love that. And I think you're right. I mean, when you get, when you talk about, when you create those environments where people can contribute and there's no fear of, um, you know, fear, you, you know, when you're in an environment where, you know, if someone makes a mistake, they get fired, right? Or if they get, they get reprimanded. If you're in a psychologically safe place, people are more willing to, you know, talk about their ideas and, 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 and especially when they have a boss that listens to those ideas and, and you, you instantly increase your employee engagement. And so, this, you know, this is a challenge we've been faced for the last 20 years is how do we increase employee engagement and humility being a humble leader, you're saying is, is the key is, is, is the key of creating that environment where people feel like they can contribute and be part of, you know, the success of the operation. 
Yeah, you know, every few months we read an article or a new report about how to improve employee engagement. People are looking for, you know, a, a, a magical solution. Right. And, and there's no magical solutions when it comes to employee engagement. We, you know, we, we, we used to think that it's benefits and pay and PTO and, you know, foosball tables and free popcorn and all of that. We, we thought all of that. Stuff. And then we provided that to employees. And yet a majority of them are not engaged. So what, what, it, what we don't want to do, because it's very hard to do, is to show up as humble leaders, to show up as leaders who say, you know what, I'm very good at these things, but there are things that I'm not that good at. And therefore, I'm going to need your help. I want your support. So those kind of leaders show up as work in progress. And as a result, their team members feel validated in their own development efforts because the message from the leader becomes, it's okay to be work in progress here. Mm-hmm. When we allow employees to feel that, when we make their development legitimate, then we unleash their engagement and their motivation and even their innovativeness and, and creativity. And there's very, very robust research that supports all of these claims that, that I'm making here. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of a study that was done by the researchers at, at BYU. One of the employees who worked for a humble leader said, I actually enjoy working late and going above and beyond the call of duty when my humble leader genuinely asks for my help on something or when they admit that they're confused about an issue. Imagine that an employee who gets excited to work late and go above and beyond. And the main reason for that is because their leader has showed up in that ambitious way and have created these kind of conditions. Mm, I love it. I love it. Yeah, it seems like the, everybody's been searching for the magic pill, but the magic pill was has been talked about for a while and people are almost missing it in a lot of cases. Yeah. Yeah, we, we both know there's nothing new in leadership, right? There's nothing, right. There, there's no, you know, yeah, we, we, might, we may call it different things and a different approach, but it remains the same basic principles. Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly. So, um. You say that uh, leaders should not shy away from demonstrating fallibility, vulnerability, and transparency. And this is an essential element of humble leadership. So talk about those elements. And I think you've touched on a little bit, whereas, you know, when the employees see that the boss is um, open, transparent, and willing to say, you know what, I don't have all the answers, then it creates the right environment. But but talk to us about those three elements uh, in, in humble leadership. I I believe that these elements are important and the research shows that they're very important because employees know that you are not perfect. (laughs) I mean, who are are we trying to kid? Employees know that their leaders are not perfect and they don't want them to pretend to be perfect. They know that their boss doesn't know everything. They know that they make mistakes and that they have limitations. So when appropriate, the leader should admit and say, hey, this is a new situation that I haven't faced before. But because I have you with me and because I believe in myself and I believe in you, we are going to um, you know, face this challenge and, and overcome it. Leaders should tell their team members, I need your help or I'm sorry, I messed up, right? 
Now, I, I, when I say that, sometimes people get a little bit nervous because they think that then your credibility is being questioned. And we need to back up a little bit and start with saying that competence is a non-negotiable in leadership, yes. right? We're starting with the, with, with the assumption that you know your stuff, that you are intelligent and knowledgeable in your area. However, when appropriate, you also admit that you don't know something. So you're not doing it every day. You're not being fallible, vulnerable, and transparent every single day in every meeting because, yeah, that will lead people to question your credibility. But once we have assumed your competence and your intelligence, then these become very important because when you share those, those areas for improvement, as we said, you know, the latest research now shows, I, I was just reading Harvard Business Review yesterday, and the, the research from Adam Grant and, and other um, researchers shows that the quickest way to build a psychologically safe team is for the leader to share with their team members what his or her areas for improvement are. Mm. As a leader, if you start your meeting by telling people what you are working on to improve, that is the fastest way to put your team on the path towards psychological safety and, and higher engagement. So that's why I believe these are um, so important for leaders to show. And, and it's not just my opinion. The research backs this up 100%. Yeah, interesting. I think we, you know, we come into leadership thinking that there's no perfect employee, but the truth is there's no perfect boss either. And once once both sides realize that's the case, then I think you can get things done, right? There, that the, that the boss isn't perfect either, right? So, and 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 when we could admit, you know, I'm and and I'm I'm pretty open with it with my employees, you know, where I'm just, you know, I'll say, look, that's not my strength, you know, I really need help in this area because it's just I don't have that. Uh, you know, like, for example, there's certain things like spreadsheets and, you know, and, and, and details and stuff. I just I don't have the, I, I just don't have the patience for it or the attention span for it. So I, I really have I said, look, I need I need your help here because it's just something I can't I don't do well. I, I get distracted quickly. I need I'm, I'm a big picture guy. I'm not a detail guy, but I need the details to be able to determine the big picture. So and, and my team is happy to dump in and jump into the and get the details for me. But because they know that this is just not one of my strengths, I just can't look at look at data and manipulate spreadsheets, and you know, I can't I can't run a pivot table to save my life, you know, after thirty years of running Excel. So, but it is right. what it's, no, 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 nor should you, nor should you try to do everything right. That right, right. Otherwise, why, why, why do you need a team, right? Yeah, you bring yeah. in the team because you know they're going to bring in strengths that that you don't have, and this way everyone is working and building on their strengths and knowing that their weaknesses are complemented by the others. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You, um, you also say that, um, and I love this, that you say gratitude, appreciation, and recognition are also critical to, to building the right culture. And, and uh, so talk about that gratitude, appreciation, recognition, something I write about in my books a lot. And um, how does that help uh, build the right culture? Yeah, I mean, again, this is one of those common sense things that, that are not commonly practiced, right? Yes. If we want, if we want buy-in, if we want engagement, if we want to unleash the creative potential of our people, we need to show them that we appreciate them, plain and simple. You know, we need to go out there and say to them, to borrow a phrase from, from Coach uh, Ted Lasso, we need to say, 
I appreciate you, right? I, what you are doing is appreciated. It's noticed. We can do that face-to-face, but my favorite way of doing it is a handwritten thank you note. Mm-hmm. It's the impact that the handwritten thank you note has on people is, is so strong and so long-lasting. Um, you know, if, a few years ago, I received a handwritten thank you note from the president of, of my university. So I, 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 you know, was giving a talk at an event for alumni, and it was on a Saturday, and he was there. He noticed that I was there. So he wrote me a handwritten thank you note saying it was a good talk, and he appreciated me taking the time. Think of the impact that this had on me as a professor, that the president of the university took time out of his busy schedule to write me a thank you note. It was timely, it was specific, but also it was so authentic because he told me exactly what he appreciated about what I did. John, you bet I have that handwritten thank you note framed in my office. And I look at it every day, especially on harder days, right? Especially on days when things are not working well because that is a reminder that, okay, yes, I may be having a hard day today, but at least I know that somewhere up there, someone appreciates the efforts that I'm putting and what I'm doing for, you know, the students and the alumni and and my colleagues and all of that. And that keeps me engaged. That helps me beat burnout, right? We, We talk so much now about burnout and the great resignation and people leaving and all of that. And again, we want magic pills, as you said, and there's no magic pill. The magic pill is go out there and show your appreciation to people and, and write them handwritten thank you notes. Yeah, that's such a powerful advice. And I think the fact that you have it, it's in your office, it reminds you of that you're that you're that the guy several layers up, you know, in the organization noticed you and 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 took the time to say thank you. And we don't realize the power of our uh, of of our I say our power of our presence, but just the power of us noting noticing things and taking action to thank employees. It has long lasting effects on our organization and our people. So that's a great story, and I and I really appreciate that. Um, we have just scratched the surface of this book. I think it's phenomenal. Um, again, I'll remind everyone: the book is called "Humbitious: The Power of Low Ego, High Drive Leadership." And I highly recommend it's it's available. It's op- it's out there now. Uh, I highly recommend people get this book. I think we need more and more leaders to read this book and understand the concepts in this book. So, how can people find out more about you and this new book? Sure, the book is sold anywhere books are sold, as as they say. Um, you know, especially online. Um, the book's website is ambitiousbook.com. So they can find more about the book and as well as about me. And people can connect with me on LinkedIn under my first name and last name, A-M-E-R-K-A-I-S-S-I, Amir Kaisi. And I'd love to uh, connect with um, the listeners and learn from them and exchange you know, some, some good knowledge. Well, fantastic. We're going to put links in the show notes for those resources. But again, leaders, get this book, read this book, apply the ideas in this book and the, and the research from this book, and you will be a better leader. So, Amir, thank you for coming on the show and sharing all of this, all of your knowledge, all of your research and this new book. It was a pleasure. Thank you for that privilege to talk to you and to um, talk with your listeners. I appreciate it. 
Well, thanks again. Well, thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonise your mind, body and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast.